Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up? Middle of the week. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Last day of the month of June. We will turn the calendar to July and make the turn toward the second half of the year tomorrow. Let's hope the second half of 2020 is better than the first half of 2020 was. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. If you're ready for a better phone, Ceasefire is here to help. Get up to $700 off top smartphones online when you trade in a device and add a new line. Plus, find options like free same-day delivery and curbside pickup in select locations. Shop now at ceasefire.com. What's up, fellas? I am reading your letter. I beg your pardon? I'm reading the letter that you received. I'm reading it right now. Oh yeah, I got a little fan mail. It it, it came to the uh, to the office in Jackson, and somebody in the office in Jackson was kind enough to uh, put it in an envelope and send it to my address uh, yesterday. It was kind of funny. I picked up this thick envelope, and it was from our office. So it had you know it was a Telesouth Communications you know label, and I was like, what is this? I didn't know if there was like some insurance information or it was like, you know, 401k stuff. You know, it was like, oh, just put this in the file. So open it up and there's an envelope inside the envelope and it's addressed to Richard Cross at Super Talk Mississippi with our network address in Jackson. So I pull it out and find a literary masterpiece. Twelve handwritten pages of some of uh, yeah, I just say pinned by maybe one of the most vile human beings alive. It's a shame he didn't put his return address on there. We could send him a T-shirt. Yeah. There is one scenario that he laid out in this psychotic letter. Um, this is the most disgusting human that I know exists in society today. There's no way you've even gotten to uh, the freelance photography part of it yet. Nope, haven't gotten there, but... <laughs> I, I, I feel confident that it could only be equally as worse as what I just read. You, you guys make fun of me sometimes because I don't use Twitter. I'm not as active on Twitter as you are. But, uh, Borky, I try to just like play the best hits on Twitter. And I don't know. There are not many times that I've tweeted something that has gotten as much reaction as last night. I was like playing with the the engagement numbers 70 uh, uh, here's what i tweeted got my first ever real legit hate mail today thanks jay for taking the time to handwrite 12 pages of racist sexist xenophobic misogynistic gibberish you only forgot to include two things 
your last name, and your return mailing address, you coward. 76,000 impressions, 26,000 engagements. <laughs> Closing in on 1,000 likes. Jeez. My favorite. I really, like, like, if it was not so vile, I, I, I've got an app on my now. phone called the, the Genius Scan. It, it's like you can take pictures of stuff and then turn it into a PDF. And I wanted a record of this in case, you know, it ever got lost. And so I, uh, I made a PDF, 13 pages long. Including the uh, the envelope with the handwritten address on it, and uh, I would love to post it, but I don't feel comfortable doing that. No, you should not do that. You, I, I'm sitting here thinking, like, what lines could you read that you could even edit? And you asked me a second ago, Borky, right before we started, nothing. are you going to read any of this? I said, I'm not sure there's a, a sentence that I can read in its entirety without beeping or editing something. There's one, and this is my favorite one. Um, our next vote will be to change the format of Super Talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really how it works. The only sentence that I've come across uh, that we could read safely uh, on the air. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, this is the the fact that this person walks the earth in the same general area yeah. that I do is terrifying. Honestly, this this person, if there was a return address or a bigger name, like I would almost think that we might need to report this person because this is the ramblings of a lunatic. Kelso in Ocean Springs says it's actually called a manifesto cross. Yeah, that's what this is. Point, yeah, but point. there's not really any really any threatening action to it. No, it's just the the these thoughts are that of somebody that has done or will do bad things. I was I was you know as I read it reading along like all right here what how was how is he going to get us? It's it's coming here at the end of this. He's going like I'm going to find you guys and do. But it never happened. I was a yeah, no, it didn't. Um, I, I Jane read it last night. And she laughed through part of it, and then she got a little more serious at the end. And she's like, "You, this scares me a little bit." Yeah, I don't, no reason to be scared. But uh, anyway, I don't. I mean, other than just for sure, sheer curiosity. I mean, is this? You don't turn something like that into authorities. I mean, there's nothing Hamilton. I'm sorry. No, no. like th this letter is racist and disgusting as it is. Like this isn't a criminal letter, but man, I, if if we knew a name, I, I would alert somebody of this person's existence. <laughs> Two different people on the text line think it's Borky's mailman. Well, <laughs> no, well. no, it is not because this person uh, in this letter um, is attacking my mailman. Also. Yeah, Greg in uh, Greg in Columbus says, "What city is the postmark from?" It uh, from a processing standpoint, it went through Memphis. So, uh, I mean, that would lead me to believe that it originated somewhere in North Mississippi, and then was processed through Memphis, and then went from Memphis to Jackson, and then obviously it was sent to me from Telesouth in Jackson. So. Uh, anyway, fascinating. Uh, that's what Donald asked as well. Derek says, "Come on now, you got to post it somewhere for us to read." Uh, he can't. You don't want to read this. I, I'm telling you, man. I, I'm, I'm Derek, on. I, I'm serious. I, I wish I could, but but I, I don't think I can. I mean, like be, because ultimately, if I posted it somewhere, my name would be attached to it, 
and there's no part of anything in this letter that I want my name to be attached to. There was one person that um, responded to the tweet on the um, on the on, on Twitter from from my tweet last night that said, "Oh wow, Richard, where'd you learn all those words on CNN and MSNBC?" Yeah, thanks. But but no, like I I I did kind of a checklist. I was like racism check in spades, misogyny check in spades. Oh, I got to the photographer part. Wow. Yep, yep. Over the top sexist and xenophobic as well. He managed to insult not only multiple races but multiple nationalities. I mean, it is, and all because I I, I assume that this is ultimately because I wanted the flag changed in the state of Mississippi. What a snowflake. He even, I mean, I'm at the part where he hates the country music that we play on the show because they've become woke, apparently. Well, yeah. in fairness, I don't care for the country music. It, either, and so. this is a tame paragraph. He just, he, we have, we he have hates country common, music. Jay. Yeah. Uh, hey, Dad, what's up with you name. on a Wednesday? Uh, not much. I uh, I had a Facebook memory today. Seven years ago today, I was in Vegas, that, that, so that was both happy and sad at the same time. What was the uh, reason for the Vegas trip? Just to go, just pleasure. Yeah, buddies I mean, I, or I you and your wife or what? Me and some friends. Yeah. Gotcha. Would you take your wife on a Vegas trip? Sure. If I can get her on the plane. She's like, no, she doesn't like to fly. I'd have to knock, I have to knock her out before we got on the plane. So she's no, no fly, no fly girl. She doesn't like to fly, which is funny. She has to fly sometimes for work, and uh, she's not a big fan of that. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, we are glad to have you along. We got a bunch to get into this afternoon, and uh, pretty decent local twist on uh, on a few things that are are going on. Uh, we'll mention this and. We will uh, we'll get into it coming up in uh, in just a little while. Um, JT Ginn is now officially a member of the New York Metropolitan's baseball organization, and hey, Dad turned out in the long run to be a pretty good business decision that he made a couple of years ago. We talked yesterday about guys gambling on themselves. JT Ginn did the same. Probably didn't plan out exactly the way he wanted to, but he ended up making an extra half mil in the deal. So uh, yeah, it worked out just fine. Yeah, and you know, for for whatever you want to say, he had a really good freshman season. Yeah, so so good that he was named a freshman All American, and he was yeah. freshman All SEC freshman of the year, SEC freshman of the year, and uh, obviously the injury this season. I, I I wonder if we hesitate just a second because he was so heralded coming in, and in some ways things went up and down a little bit his freshman year with, you know, a couple of injuries, missed a start, and, and what I, I just wonder if that clouds a little bit how we look at what his freshman year was, and then you go back and you go, hold on, but he was the SEC Freshman of the Year, and he was yeah. a freshman All-American. It wasn't that bad. So we'll get into the details of uh, JT again. Also, some potential news on the high school front as it pertains to sports this fall and into the spring in the state of Mississippi. That's coming up next. I was particularly amused by Paul Gallo being referred to as the Joe Biden of talk radio. I don't even know what that means. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. 601-879-4395. That's how you get in touch with us on the C Spire text line. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, you will uh, excuse my wishful thinking from uh, just a couple of moments ago. I think multiple times I called it Wednesday. I said middle of the week early, and then I said, uh, you know, on this Wednesday. It's only Tuesday, but it is, a for most people, a shorter work week. Yeah. Uh, most people will be off on Friday. That's right. With Independence Day being on Saturday this year. So, hey, Dad, sorry if Which I disappointed you. You thought there we was don't only celebrate one celebrate because left. we're a bunch of Marxist communists who, you know, do what we got to yeah. do. Why would you have disappointed me? I missed that. For saying that it was Wednesday instead of Tuesday. Oh, I, I knew that it was Tuesday. We're, we're yeah. okay. Sorry. No, no. Well, I was a, a willing lackey for the socialist slash communist agenda in America. I still think we need to let somebody know this guy exists. I, I, well, make, he's make clearly a man. Make the call. Uh, but I didn't receive the letter. Um, I don't know who it is. Well, that's not that's not our job to figure that out. That's yeah, there, you think our there are ways of figuring that out? Probably. Oh, yeah. You ever watched, you know, CSI? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Enhance. Man, yesterday, I sent a picture of a style of coffee to my friends in a group message. And an advertisement for that coffee <laughs> company showed up on all of our computers. So there's a way they can find out. You're saying that uh, Big Brother is watching? Big Brother is watching. But I mean, definitely this watching. dude is clearly unstable, and I think somebody needs to know he exists. That's just me. Yeah. They probably already do, though. Yeah, maybe so. I was talking to somebody about it. I was like, oh, they could fingerprint the envelope. I was like, you think if they actually got a fingerprint, it would match something in a uh, law enforcement database? <laughs> I would bet money that yes, he, he admits to that. He says he he he's been arrested before. Ooh. Yeah, but then Richard's look, look, fingerprints are on it. And maybe they don't. You know, Richard doesn't want himself connected with a crime he's done. I've never been arrested. The union says call the feds, call the FBI. You ever been put in cuffs? Nope. You ever been put in the back of a car? I have not. Me either. I thought you were about to tell me a story. No, no. I, I, <laughs> well, there was this one time. I, I got an MIP on my 20th birthday, though, and the cop uh, did not very much appreciate that I was walking to the beach because it was spring break. I was holding a case of beer, and I had my pockets full of them. And after he wrote me the ticket, he said, you have to pour all that out. And so he watched me as I took every can out of the case and poured it out, and then I tried to act like I was done. You know, because the cop didn't notice, in my mind, that I had the cans in my pocket, and he wouldn't let me go until I took those out, too. That's the closest I've really gotten. Yeah. I was kind of no, stupid. I've, I've been quite fortunate. I, I would like to think that, generally speaking, I follow the rules of our land as well, and maybe that's part of the reason that I haven't gotten arrested, but uh, I've probably done some things that... Uh, anyway. Never mind. Let's, uh, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's... We can talk about your uh, close-to-arrest stories all no, day. No, no, I don't really have any close-to-arrest stories. I'm just saying there are probably some decisions that I've made along the way that were not the smartest decisions that, uh, in a technical sense, could have gotten me in trouble, but uh, thankfully that hasn't been the case. My guess is there are very few people that cannot say that. Yeah. So, JT Ginn. 
Uh, this is according to Jim Callis, who does as good a job tracking contract signings as anyone. Uh, he is with uh, he's with MLB Network, I think. Yeah, senior writer for MLB Pipeline at MLB.com. And he tweeted the news last night. Second round pick JT Ginn signs with the Mets for $2.9 million. He was the 52nd pick of the draft. And the slot value for that pick is $1,403,200. Hey, Dad, you pointed out when we were looking at uh, the Mets signees earlier uh, that they had some guys that signed under slot value, and so it felt like it was going to free up some more money for them to uh, be able to get a deal done with JT again. And clearly they did just that. Signs for a million and a half over slot, just shy of $3 million, recovering from Tommy John surgery in March. And Jim Callis writes, wicked stuff before he got hurt with a lively 91 to 97 mile an hour fastball and a wipeout slider. This is just fantastic news for JT Ginn. Yeah, big money for him. Uh, you know, MSU's guys did really well this year, uh, you know, in terms of uh, Blaze Jordan got well, well over at signing, Ginn got over at signing, and I think everybody else was either right at it or, or, or just over it. So nobody went under slot for Mississippi State, as far as I can tell. Uh, in, in this, from terms of signees and, and players, so good news for MSU. Um, and for Ginn, yeah, you know, you knew it was a risk from day one, uh, and then you, you know, he has the he runs into the injury trouble this year, and you wor- you're worried. You're like, ah, oh, this is you know, this is going to be one of those those you know cautionary tales if if you're not careful here. But it turns out it works out really well for him. He makes more money than he w- would have made two years ago. He gets the experience of going to Omaha and playing college baseball at Mississippi State, which he really wanted. Um, outside of the injury, which, you know, nowadays, those kind of elbow injuries, they're just commonplace. They're like a sprained ankle almost. He'll probably come back stronger and better. And, you know, it, it, it all worked out for him in the end. And I guess, you know, in, in this day and age, college sports, that's about all we can ask for. Do you remember off the top of your head how much Blaze Jordan signed for? 1.7? Something like, something okay. like that? 1.6, 1.7? So... Yeah, we, we've talked about people's reaction sometimes to guys turning pro. I mean, that that's a number. You're talking about almost $2 million where it would be so incredibly difficult to turn the money down. Yes, you saw JT Ginn do it. And so there are certainly exceptions to this, but it feels like it is becoming more and more and more evident that the best decision for the overwhelming majority of players, is to go play college baseball. At the very least, go play junior college baseball. You don't necessarily lock yourself in for three years. You could play JUCO for a year and then re-enter the draft. But is it for a year or two years if you go JUCO? You can do it after a year, can't you? Yeah, you can go if you go to JUCO, you're, you can go right back into the draft the next year. Yeah. So at the very least, that seems to make sense. Man, you start looking at the first round of the draft and the first five rounds of the draft, and I mean the the evidence for going to college making sense and being the right decision is getting. I mean, it, it, it's a mound of evidence that's just getting larger and larger, and, and it gets a little bit larger every year. And and one of the numbers that we roll out, um, I say we, ESPN rolls out. At the beginning of every season, and then again when you get to the postseason, because you know it's not talking points as much as it is storylines for the baseball season. One of the things they roll out is you know 
the, the statistics on opening day roster makeups of guys that played college baseball versus didn't. And it's now over 50% of opening day Major League Baseball lineups come from guys that played college baseball. Yeah. And you, you, you look at JT Ginn, for example, and you go, what was he thinking, man? The guy turned down $2.5 million or whatever the exact number was, uh, $2.8 million. You, you're, I'm in the ballpark. I don't remember what the exact number it's was. Two three. Okay, two point three million turned it down to go play college baseball. Two years later, including a Tommy John injury, he gets more money after his college experience to go be part of Major League Baseball. And he was the unique situation because of his age of being draft eligible after just two years in college, as opposed to having to wait three years. Yeah, that's a good point that, you know, if he was a, a year younger, he would be coming back to Mississippi State for a junior season or I guess right. a sophomore season in terms of, you know, eligibility. But, and, and you, there, there'd be a lot more question marks about him. Like, what, you know, what's he going to do? Are they going to have to change his role? Chris Lamonis told us that even if he did come back, it, he wouldn't have been ready to just go out there and be the, the day one starter at the start of the season. So a ton of question marks as opposed to now he can go and just play baseball. And you know rehab and get everything done on, on on a professional schedule, and he's got nearly three million dollars in the bank now. Uh, Lonnie in Guntown says, "How do they compare to Mangum?" I'm assu- assuming that you're asking from a salary standpoint or a signing bonus standpoint. Th- there is no Quite comparison. Different. Yeah, Mangum. I mean, JT Mangum played four years of college baseball, and he got what, like twenty grand? Yeah. Different ways to do it. He also got five degrees, so. There's value in that. Dr. Jake Mangum to you. There is. And, I mean, there are things that you can point to that, you know, Jake Mangum has done for himself in terms of the long term that he couldn't have done without going to college. He could have left after his junior year and probably gotten a little bit more money. I, I think Jake's maybe family financial situation was a little bit different and allowed him to make some decisions differently. But college was really important to him. And now he's still getting to chase his Major League Baseball dream. For some guys, that's how it works out. And it turns out to be a good thing in the long run. But then for some guys, the money's just too big to turn down. First time today, let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Scary Gary. On with us right now to talk some uh, NASCAR. What's up, Gary? Not much. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm good. Are you burning up the uh, the highways in the Magnolia State today? I have made a several uh, several flares flare ups. Let's say at South Mississippi and back to Jackson. So it's just uh, there might be a a brush fire on the side of the road where I went through. Who knows? All right. Well, you're you're driving let's like you say, think you're a say, uh, Mr. Trooper. Let's just say Mr. Trooper wasn't shooting at our range. He was looking for the folks that were really going fast. I understand. Understand. All right. You got to help me understand something else. All How right. do they distribute prize money? Like at a golf tournament, there is a a purse for prize money, and the winner gets you know uh, Dustin Johnson won in Connecticut this weekend, and his share was $1.3 million for winning it. And then the guy in second place won, like, I don't know, 650000 And then it kind of tapered off down to the guy that finished, you know, at the at the bottom. How does it work in NASCAR? Is there a specific amount of money that the winner gets for winning each race? It's not a specific amount, but it is a 
definite uh, larger amount than second. I mean, it is NASCAR used used to you could on uh, Mondays you could get the paper and it would pay. It showed the payout of every position. You know, it finished the race. Of course, they don't they don't do that anymore in the paper. But like from first to second might be uh, as much as two hundred thousand dollars or or a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's it's a it's a good bit of chunk of change, and then it just t- kind of tapers down. Depending, like we talked about one time, I mentioned you got to get in the winner circle. If you if you have won in the past, you will get a little bit chunker, a little bit bigger chunk of that pie because you are a previous winner. But it's it it systematically goes back down, and of course, even the last place people get a little chunk of change. I mean, it's it's kind of like. Uh, we go pay you a little bit for showing up and racing, and that's how some of these teams. If in NASCAR you've got the guys that run around at the back and all all the time, you know that that are just kind of like field fillers in some way. They're learning the ropes to come through the ranks to, you know, work their way up the ladder. Well, you still got to you've got to pay these guys something because if you don't, they're they're working on very limited funds, and sometimes these guys will go and race a half a race. And that's all the money they have for tires. So they, you know, after half the race, they're not running at the end because they really don't have the money to buy the fuel and the tires to finish the race. But if they finish, you know, well enough in half of it and not last at all, they will get, you know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars or more than that. So hmm. it all systematically kind of pay. It's a it, it is a broken down scale, but let's just say it's changed a little bit in the years that NASCAR has been doing this, of course, the money's gotten a lot bigger. There's TV money. There's sponsorship money. You've got, of course, the sponsor of the race. You've got uh, contingency money. I mean, there's all kinds of different money that's, that's grouped in on the winnings. But it's still, it's, if you've won more than, let's say, if you win one race, that that gives you a pay scale raise. So, I mean, that's why it's so important for these guys that are out there running to finish as good as they can because it's a it's of course there's a better payout at the window, but they're not out there doing it for the money per se. They're out there doing it for they love the sport, and of course some folks make a lot more money than others, and then there's some folks that never ever make it in NASCAR, and they just sure. you know they kind of disappear. But yeah, it, it is it first place to second place is a definite chunk of change. I mean it's it's a lot of money that. All right, so so Denny Hamlin wins at Pocono on Sunday, and that's after finishing second at Pocono. With Kevin Harvick finish, finishing second on Sunday, but he won on Saturday. So just looking at Sunday's race, Denny Hamlin is a winner. I mean, you think he won two hundred thousand dollars? You think he won a million dollars for that particular race? I didn't win a million dollars, but it was it was way on up in the probably. High figures, high on up there, you know, five hundred thousand dollars or so. I mean, like I said, they don't they don't publish like they used to. I'm sure there's a place you can go and find it on the interweb. It's just it's it's <laughs> it's broken down and into increments of this and that. If you finish from one to ten, you get a little bit more than eleven to twenty. Oh, and of course, now wait a minute. You were talking about. Denny Hamlin finishing second on Saturday and first on Sunday and Harvard reversing. Well, if you think about it, Denny Hamlin started like third or fourth on the Saturday race, and he finished second. Well, Kevin Harvick started 20th on the Saturday race, and he won. 
Well, he had to start 20th again because he, you know, won the race and they inverted the field 1 through 20 at the finish. The first place went back to 20th. That's why Michael McDowell, the 34, was on the pole for the start because he finished 20th and he got the pole because they reversed the field. So, you know, it's kind of like they put, sometimes they'll do that and it puts the slow guys in front and the fast guys in the back and it, it gives gives you a little bit better show to watch, you know, watch them pass and work their way through there. But let's just say Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin were definitely the cream of the crop. They, they rose to the top. And, I mean, like you asked one time, can you start dead last and win the race? Absolutely. I mean, Kevin Harvick started in 20th, which is mid-pack, you might say, and still finished at the front of the pack two days in a row. Well, the guy that started next to last on uh, on Sunday was uh, Eric Jones. He started in thirty eighth and finished third in the race. So that's uh, another example of kind of getting out right, to the uh, Eric to the Jones front. Was running, he was running good during the Saturday race. It got caught up in a in a crash and had to go to a backup car. So he had to since he went to a backup car, he had to go to the tail end of the of the field to start the race. No matter where he finished, he was going shotgun because he had to get a new car. And there were several cars. Chase Elliott had to go to the back of the field. I mean, there was six or seven cars that had to give up their place and go to the back of the field because of either hit infractions or having to go to a backup car. Or uh, Michael McDowell, I think, had to change the motors while he couldn't start on the pole, and he started out back. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, these cars that are impounded, you can't mess with them you know, you can't go and change the motor and, and put a fresh motor in there for the next 400 or 300 miles. And then All right, let me ask you this, Gary. That, that actually brings up something that's, that's kind of fascinating to me. So most of these big teams have multiple cars. You, you, you've just got to. You wreck one, you got to be able to roll out a new one. But the car oh, that yeah. you're running by choice is your most finely tuned car. You believe that's your fastest car. How close is a backup car I mean, you, you, in theory, I guess you would want it to be exactly the same. How close right. is it to being exactly to the same the as, as A1? Right. Well, you usually take your number one bullet, and if you wreck it, then you've got number two bullet in the car. So, yeah. but, and those cars are usually prepared pretty close to the same. So you may have to change maybe some shocks or something that, you know, NASCAR will let you change from that car over to the other car. But still, when you have to change from one car to the other, NASCAR is going to penalize you by making you go to the back of the field because they don't want to give you an unfair advantage, you know, with maybe this car is better than the car that he wrecked. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Did uh, last oh, thing, Gary, we got the. Real quick. Real quick. Okay. Uh, they had, uh, there were several teams that after the Saturday race, they had to go in the pits, pull the wrap completely off that car and put another wrap on it because they had a different sponsor for the next race the next day. So that was an extra burden to the teams to have to do that on Saturday night, you know, get ready for the Sunday race to change the car colors and sponsor and everything. That's crazy. So, you know, it was a lot of work that went on to do that two-day show. And, of course, they're going to Indy this week, which is, you know, it's Indianapolis. I mean, it's... Uh, it's an old track, and it's just it's it's filled with racing legends. I mean, everybody's raced there, and and they're doing NASCAR. a back to back, right? I mean, isn't it NASCAR on Saturday and Indy on Sunday? Yes, they're doing a uh, 
first time they've ever had a Whistle Cup and IndyCar run on the same day. I mean, in the same, you know, same general area. Not, Of course, they run on every Sunday, but one of them might be in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, and the other one at Talladega. But this is the first time they're going to be at Indy together. Right, right. Oh, La- last, last thing. I, I, Jimmy Johnson. Oh, look, Jimmy Johnson's going to get to do some <laughs> test driving of an Indy car while he's there. So that'll be some news that, to watch. That's that's pretty cool. Last thing for you, Gary. Did it feel normal this weekend? I mean, I know there are no fans in the stands, but after all the craziness of the uh, of the previous week at uh, at Talladega, did this feel a little bit more normal? Yes, the race was a little bit more calm. It wasn't well at Talladega. They, of course, it had rained, and then they got to, had to race Monday, so it was just a whole different mindset. But of course, they had to dodge rain both days during these races. I mean, it was kind of like deja vu. It's like every race that they've had to change, is they've had rain involved almost with it. So it's kind of been it's kind of been hit and miss on the rain and the weather. But yeah, it was it was more of a regular feel to a race. And, and of course, this race this weekend is a it in some aspects it's kind of boring because it's a flat, low track. But in other aspects, it's still it's Indianapolis. I mean, it's huge. They'll be at the Brickyard. Gary, thanks as always for your time. We'll talk to you soon. Be safe on the road. Thank you, Richard. Y'all have a good one. Bye-bye. Scary Gary joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Horse Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm on this Tuesday afternoon. Okay, got the day right now. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. When we be a part of the show, you can do so on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Borky, do you feel like the NBA's return is in danger of being derailed? I don't think so, not currently. Okay. Nuggets are having to close their facility because of the virus. We've had a few players that have said they're just going to opt out. But you don't think it's overwhelming enough to... Uh, Adam Silver, by the way, today said that he would be in and out of the bubble. But, I mean, if anybody should get a pass for being able to leave and come back, it would be the commissioner of the league. Well, yeah. It's not it, a bubble, though, right? It, it's you're not gonna, exactly. People can go in and out. Uh, and after the, after the eight games, uh, they'll be allowed to bring their families in. So, and Disney employees. And I learned something today about why Disney is not requiring their employees to be tested every day that work with the players because in order to do that, that would mean they have to require that for all of their many thousands of employees to do that every day, even the ones that are not working with the NBA players because of uh, the, the union that they have. So one sect of employees cannot be treated differently than the rest. So the ones that are working with NBA players cannot get special treatment. And so unless they wanted to test all of them in California as well as Orlando that aren't even working with the guys, uh, they can't do it. So, And they said today I think like 90% of the Disney employees will not come within 10 feet of any player. So that lessened the the impact of that a little bit. But you had a handful of stories today. So uh, Brooklyn's got a guy, DeAndre Jordan, that's not going to play because he tested positive for coronavirus. Um, another one of his teammates hasn't made an announcement yet, but he has tested positive. You have the situation in Denver, which really only comes down to they have two out of 35. New Orleans uh, today announced that they have three on their roster. 
but they tested when they came back to the facility eight days or so ago, none of which are showing symptoms. All of them plan to play. So even though it was a bad news day, it sounds like they're still going to keep pushing forward. I mean, they've got to put a product on the floor. No indication that anybody in Denver is not going to play because of this. New Orleans is all good to go, and we won't get to see DeAndre Jordan, which, oh well. The whole thing's pretty fascinating, though, because what we're having to to watch and what we're learning is what it's going to be like for a professional sports league to deal with players testing positive while they've got games going. I mean, wouldn't you... Don't you think that there's at least a reasonable possibility that once the NBA begins its actual slate of games the eight regular season remaining games and rolls into the playoffs, that there is at least the opportunity for somebody to test positive while they're playing. Yep. Very much. So what are they going to do when that happens? Are they going to just quarantine that player? Are they going to quarantine an entire team? Are they going to press pause on the whole process and start back up two weeks later? Or are they just going to... Move on. Silver or shut sh- the whole thing down. Shut the whole thing down would only come if there's like a widespread kind of outbreak. But if it's one player and the rest of the team is negative, they're going to keep pushing on. Silver has said that, that they will reconsider if an outbreak becomes so bad that a team can't play. Then things may change, but their entire goal is to get this bubble so airtight, even though that'll be really tough to do, to almost guarantee that they won't see a positive. As crazy as that may sound, that's their goal, is to not have a player or a coach or any member of the traveling party come in contact with anyone that possibly could give it to them. That's why they they mentioned today that most Disney employees are not going to come with even 10 feet of anybody at all just to make sure that this bubble really is truly, for the players, an actual bubble. I think we got to stop using that word. Yeah. Right, because, I mean, bubble means completely enclosed. Right. And that will not be the case. I mean, you just hey, said you Adam Silver a... is going to come in and out. I mean, that in and of itself, it's not a bubble anymore. Yeah. I mean, call it a you know tightly controlled environment? Fine. And I'm not necessarily trying to play the semantics game, but, you know, have you ever had a a bike or a lawnmower or an automobile that you thought you just had a slow leak in a tire and you fill it back up and then you look up an hour later after driving down the road or driving down the street and tires flat again it's not it's not a bubble environment anymore it's got a hole in it and it allows the air to escape and you, when you let people go in and out it's not a bubble environment and therefore it's not going to be sterile it's not going to be 100% clean there's just no way around that But I guess the point in all of that was it's going to be fascinating to watch that happen in real time or somebody test positive and and what it looks like because I think it's going to be a learning opportunity for sports that have not begun yet. Mentioned to you that there is uh, some potential high school news. It's nothing that has been decided yet, but an interesting conversation on... 
with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 4 o'clock hour on the last day of the month of June. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. We will celebrate our country's independence coming up on Saturday. Fireworks? Are you fireworks, guys? Oh, for sure. I'm going to my mom's down in Vicksburg. I don't know if they still do fireworks on the 4th of July yet. I think I think they do now. Watch them or shoot them? Which is your preferred? Watch them. Watch them. Really? Don't like shooting too much work, what? That's a lot of work, yeah. A lot of money. Do you shoot fireworks as a kid? Bottle rocket wars and whatnot? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Nearly had my ear taken off by a Roman candle once. I'm sorry, what? You had your ear taken off? No, no, I nearly, nearly. Nearly. Whizzed by. Yeah. Nearly. Yeah. Yeah, see, it's 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 there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't know if maybe you'd had it reattached somewhere along the way. <laughs> what? Firework wars. I mean that bottle bottle rocket wars probably not the smartest thing you can do, but unless you get you know you have one blow up in your eye, probably gonna be okay. Shooting Roman candles at each other, really bad idea. Hey, Dad, those are fireballs. Yeah, I'm aware of what they are. I, I didn't shoot it. Somebody shot it at me. I and you did not return fire. Well, I had all I had was bottle rockets. I mean, you know. I wasn't aware that there had been an escalation in the terms of warfare at that time. <laughs> Keep it political here, you know. Uh, Borky bottle rocket wars as a kid? Roman candles mostly. Oh, jeez. You just Parents you out. had more ammo. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it's the difference something. in having a semi-automatic firework uh, weapon and a uh, a single shot. Yeah. <laughs> where you have to constantly uh, constantly reload. Uh, all right, two two things. One of them probably more important than the other. I'll let you decide which. Netflix announced six hours ago season four of Ozark will be an expanded season. 14 episodes in season four. However, season four will be the final season of Ozark. That do anything for you one way or the other? I haven't watched that yet. I need to get. Oh, it. you love it! Uh, I'm, I, everybody, everybody who watches that and loves it tells me that, and then they, you know, they're like, "If you liked this, and you, you like The Sopranos, you like The Wire, you'll love Ozark." I, I, I just need to do it. Yeah. The Times graphic. The end of season three was. Could, Borky, can you say expected and unexpected all at the same time? Yeah, like after after it ended, I, I just sat kind of like with my mouth open, like. Oh, yeah. that just yeah. happened. But then again, it's like, well, that needed to happen. Kind of saw it coming, but wow. That was the way uh, season three ended. So you have that news from Netflix, and you have this news from Minor League Baseball. Statement came out just a bit ago. Major League Baseball has informed Minor League Baseball that it will not be providing its affiliated Minor League teams with players for the 2020 season. As a result, there will not be a minor league baseball season in 2020. The quote from the president of the minor leagues, Pat O'Connor, these are unprecedented times for our country and our organization, as this is the first time in our history that we've had a summer without minor league baseball played. While this is a sad day for many, this announcement removes the uncertainty surrounding the 2020 season and allows our teams to begin planning for an exciting 2021 season of affordable 
family entertainment, minor league baseball, which began as the National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues, was founded September 5th, 1901. So in terms of in the grand scheme of things, does this have an effect on us from a day-to-day basis? Not really. It doesn't. Because I don't know that there are that many minor league baseball fans out there, quote-unquote. If you live in a city that has a minor league team, you may be a fan of that team and a fan of the experience. Borky, you've talked about the fact that with the Mississippi Braves, you like to sneak out sometimes on Friday nights or, I don't know, maybe Sunday afternoons, whatever the time frame is, and hang out and watch a little baseball and have a cold one and eat a hot dog and just kind of soak it up as something to do. But it's not like a day-to-day part of your life where you're checking the standings. Right. I don't think I've ever truly actually cared who wins or loses a minor league baseball game I've attended. Now, if you are a diehard Major League Baseball fan, maybe you keep an eye on the farm system and you're interested in guys that are developing, and if you live in a minor league city and uh, there's either somebody that's getting a rehab assignment, it's an opportunity to watch them play in in a different environment than a big league stadium, or if you see a guy who's just rocketing his way up through the minor leagues, you're like, hey, I got a chance to uh, to watch that guy play before he got to the show. And, hey, Dad, I'm sure you – I don't know if you ever did this as a kid, but I know that you've heard these stories. There are tons and tons of people that grew up in the Jackson metro area in the late 80s where you will hear them talking about guys that they saw play in Jackson that went on to be stars with the Mets. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that 86 Mets team had a ton of guys that played in Jackson, including Daryl Strawberry. I don't think Dwight Gooden ever came to Jackson. I think he, he went straight from single A to triple A. Uh, so he may, may not have made that trip. But, yeah, there, there are Mets fans in Mississippi probably to this day who got their start watching the Jackson Mets. Yeah. So it is sad, but you know, the other piece of this is you got a lot of people that are affected by this. I mean, thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people that are affected by the fact that there's no minor league baseball season. Now, I don't think this is breaking news. It kind of felt for a long time like this announcement was coming, but now you get it officially. And so it's the players and the managers and the assistant coaches and the media relations people and the broadcasters and the concessions workers and the security workers and the front office people and the scouting Parts of organizations, I mean, there are literally tens of thousands of people that are affected by minor league baseball not happening in any form this year. And that's hard. That's really tough. I still think that they should do the same or or try to come up with the same idea, if they can, uh, that they're doing in Nashville. I think we said it a couple weeks ago, Nashville's bringing in 40 guys or so. Uh, that were in their minor league system, and they're going to divide them up into two teams, and they're going to play some games this summer. I I wonder if you couldn't possibly do the same thing here. Maybe it's a logistical nightmare, but you've got two minor league teams. You get the Braves. You get the Brewers to get some guys that they know that they want to see this this summer, and you put them on rosters, and they're basically kind of in bubbles here anyway. A buddy of mine from high school played for the Mississippi Braves for a year, and – Minor league baseball, they basically are in a bubble. I mean, he stayed with his host family here and went to the ballpark. 
And that's all he did. He was at the ballpark or he was sleeping because he had a game the next day or a road trip. So they kind of already keep him in bubbles just because of how simply busy they are. And none of them are from the area. So you can kind of already create that scenario. And if you're just busing from Pearl to Biloxi and back, maybe you could put some games on. Yeah. I don't know. So looking at uh, some of this interaction online about the minor league baseball announcement, it just random guy here goes, this is a huge blow to getting families and kids into the game. A night out at the local minor league ballpark for reasonable money is a gateway to lifelong fandom, and Lord knows baseball needs more fans after what they've just gone through. And uh, Lindsay Adler, who covers the Yankees for the Athletic, I think, she said, seriously, I think some of the most creative people in professional sports work in minor league baseball, especially at the lower levels. My understanding is that many minor league budgets are razor thin, yet sans pandemic, they find a way to engage their communities and make it work. Yeah, my, minor league baseball is not the same money-making proposition that major league baseball is. There is a usually one station radio affiliate. It's not a, a network of stations. There are no television contracts. Maybe you sell a thousand or a couple of thousand season tickets. You got some corporate advertising that's on the outfield walls. You see that when you go to a Mississippi Braves game. You watch, I mean, if the only time you go to that stadium is to watch Ole Miss and Mississippi State play, you kind of soak in what it looks like. It's a little bit different than most college ballparks, but that's how they survive. And that's tough. If you like baseball, that announcement is uh, is a tough one today that you uh, you soak up. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you this afternoon. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Upgrade your Anywhere office with Microsoft Teams from C Spire Business. Their experts can equip your organization to chat, meet, call, and collaborate from anywhere on one easy-to-use platform. Find the right plan for you at cspire.com slash business. We have kicked around the idea of what if college football got played in the spring instead of the fall? Well, what if at the high school level they decided to do a flip, spring sports and fall sports? We'll talk about that idea next with you Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. So I've teased this a couple of times, and it's a fascinating conversation. The executive committee of the Mississippi High School Activities Association met earlier today and the meeting was focused around a discussion or focus it was a discussion focused on the idea of flipping seasons and having non-contact sports played in the fall and contact sports being moved to the spring because of COVID-19 now that discussion was had today but there was no immediate decision that was made. The executive committee is scheduled to meet again on July 14th. And 
I don't know if that's when a decision is going to be made. But that's kind of a fascinating thought. So in terms of high school athletics in Mississippi, you kind of have the fall season, which bleeds into the winter season sports, which then bleeds into spring. And your fall sports are football and what else? Soccer. Volleyball. Doesn't soccer... Uh, okay, volleyball, I guess, would be fall. I was thinking that soccer was classified as winter. Because uh, they don't okay. start... They, I didn't know there was such a thing as winter sports. But yeah, Well, sure. and I don't know that there necessarily is, but soccer doesn't start when school starts in August, the way football does. But you've got boys and girls basketball and soccer that kind of happens in that November to March window. And then when you come back from Christmas, baseball practice, softball practice, those things start. You have track and, and field. Um, golf season is in the spring at, with, with Mississippi high schools as well. And so those kind of happen in the spring. So what about the idea of flipping and taking baseball and softball and golf and tennis all the spring sports that currently happen on the MHSAA calendar and putting them in the fall and then taking the fall sports, but primarily high school football, and moving it to the spring. Well, why don't we have the same concerns here we have for college football? That you know, It would be tough to play football in the spring and then turn around and play a, a fall, another fall season. That's my first question. Yeah. Well, I've, I, I kind of said earlier this week, I'm not 100% sure that that's as big a deal as some people are making it out to be. But I do understand the toll on the body. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that you would start your football season in what? Late January, early February? Yeah. I mean, if you're done by early April, then you you, you just have to take off. Like, you, you couldn't do anything other than, you know, some you know weightlifting and things like that from, what, April through August, basically? Yeah, I mean, you, you would play your season in February, March, and the first two weeks of April, and then you would have, like, four rounds of the playoffs and finish middle of May. And then you would just have to shut it down, again, other than off-season training, which, which they do maybe until August 1st. You might even have to push the season back next fall, a week or two, maybe. And that's that's an idea that you especially that's something that high school football really needs to do anyway. They don't need to be starting the season in the middle of August when it's I agree you know, with you on that. Ninety five degrees at six at, at kickoff. It's, it's not going to hurt them to start first week of September, which it still is not a whole lot better, but it's it's somewhat better. So yeah, now you now you now we've got feel like we've got a little bit more of a solution there. That yeah, you could start mid September, and if it runs, you know. Here's the thing, and I know people are going to say, well, school gets out and, and whatever, but if a team's playing for a state championship and it has to be played after school's out, well, kids will still show up to practice to play for a school ch- for a state championship. I don't think they're going to be like, oh, no, you know, season's over. So, uh, Yeah, yeah start, start the season a little later. Now, now, now we're cooking with something here. I don't entirely understand the rationale for playing. Well, no, I, well, entirely. I don't entirely understand the rationale for playing two high school football games in the month of August and having a jamboree one week earlier 
I think that's kind of where we are, though, and have been for the last few years, is you have a jamboree on, like, August 15th. Yeah. And then you play a game on the 22nd or 23rd, and then you play a game on the 29th or 30th, and game three is, like, the weekend of Labor Day. Yeah. I don't think it would be a bad idea to push that back, and then you would have to push the playoffs back a little bit, and you'd push state championship games back a couple of weeks. I don't see the big deal in doing that. Unless it is because you realize that in a lot of places you got a bunch of football players that also play basketball. And with the overlap there, maybe it's hurting your basketball product, but why not push basketball back a little bit as well? There's nothing wrong with that. The the thing that I thought of, and maybe this shouldn't be a factor in decision-making, but I know a lot of people... Uh, a teammate of mine included in high school that our senior football season is what got him his very small scholarship to Newberry College. And if you play a football season that goes beyond a signing day, there are a lot of kids that won't get the opportunity that my teammate Zach got. He wasn't going to go to college otherwise. And because he played well his senior year standing next to two Division One offensive linemen, he got to go to college. And some of it was paid for. And maybe that's not why you make this kind of decision. I don't know, but I think these guys having a senior year that extends into the spring, maybe they get missed and passed on. Because this won't happen in every state, and maybe some of them even get shut down, but this would make it more difficult for deserving athletes to get seen in in opportunities because I've seen it firsthand. Without that final season, he wasn't going to college. Sure. And he went to school because he played well. And moving that may have jeopardized his opportunity. With the way they keep moving back dead periods and stuff like that, I think it's fair to think that right now like the recruiting calendar is going to be completely different. Maybe not just beyond this year. It might might be for a couple years where – if, if that happens, what we're discussing happens in Mississippi, and let's say it happens in a few other states, the NCAA is going to have to act and, and make it, okay, we got to change when signing day is and things of that nature. So I, I don't up. think that's as big a concern. The, the bigger concern would be like a five-star kid who knows where he's going. He's going to sign with Alabama, and he's an early graduate, and now he's gone. You know, you lose that guy, but, I mean, I guess it's just part of the, the, the gig. Yeah, I mean, I think we got to mem- remember that we're – operating in uncharted waters here. And Borky, I think your point's a good one. And and I would say there are a lot of high school football players that fall into that category. I mean, I guess to a certain degree, I fell into that category as well. Even though I didn't go on to play college football, I didn't start until I was a senior. And the little bit of opportunity that was out there for me to potentially go play in college was based on what I did my senior year. So, it certainly is a reasonable way to look at it. But my guess is that the folks at the MHSAA are looking at this from the standpoint of, okay, one, what keeps our high school students safest? That, that, that's that got to be priority number one. And then priority number two, what plan gives us the best opportunity to play an entire season? And then maybe three, and and this kind of goes along with the first two points. You know, how do you how do you best position yourself to get some more time? 
like, are we going to know more about COVID-19 and how to safely deal with it and safely interact by October or November so that we could you know, transition into the spring for a football season? I don't know. The calendar's messed up everywhere you look, though, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, baseball's calendar's messed up. The NBA's calendar's messed up. The NFL appears to be on schedule. I think they're playing no matter what happens. I mean, you don't have to have a single fan in the stand, but I think the NFL is one of those where they they are too big to fail, and even if it doesn't look good optically, they know they will survive it and nobody will really care. They're in a unique position in sports to where they can they can press on and optics don't matter. Yeah, I mean, unless we get to a point where the outbreaks are, yeah. are not just spiking, but they're, like, insane. Everywhere you go, people are getting it. But I'm with you. I mean, I think the NFL is going to figure out a way to get it done. Even if they had to just push things back a little bit or eliminate a few games. I mean, and would you be shocked if... I don't think we'd be shocked by anything, but if the NFL said, we can't do 16 games, we can't start the second week of September, we're going to start October 1st, and we're going to play a 12-game schedule. Whatever it is. So I don't know. Suffice it to say, there is a ton of uncertainty as we turn the calendar to the month of July. Scheduling news for Ole Miss football. Almost need a drum roll for this. <laughs> it's a big one. 2026 and 2027. A home and home with Charlotte. Okay. Uh, Rupp Arena holds more fans uh, than where the four. <laughs> Yeah. Charlotte's so, a great city, though. I said this on Twitter. You can fly direct out of Jackson. Uh, so if you're anywhere close to Jackson, I don't know about the situation in Memphis, but you can fly direct from Jackson to Charlotte, and Charlotte is an awesome city. Great beer and great golf, too, if you want to make it a weekend. Yeah, you can fly direct to Charlotte from Memphis. It's uh, one of American's hubs. So Nice. So quick, one of easy about trip. Two yeah, one of about seven places in the entire continental United States that you can fly direct out of Memphis. You can fly to Charlotte, you can fly to Dallas for American, you can fly to Atlanta and Delta, both American and Delta have direct flights to New York, fly Delta to Minneapolis, fly to Orlando, and so, yeah, anyway, whatever. Um, You might look at this and go, what are they doing? But this follows the exact same pattern that we saw a few weeks ago when Ole Miss scheduled a home-and-home with South Alabama in 2028 and 2029. And I asked Keith Carter about it. I I can't remember if we talked about it with him on the air or if that was just a conversation that I had him. And he said, look, he said, our sweet spot in scheduling is seven home games. And generally speaking, if you look at the possibility of adding an eighth home game, you're adding a game that is not 
particularly attractive in terms of a season ticket package. It's not like you can bump your season ticket package by another 75 or $100 to add one more home game, and so it just doesn't make sense. And the other thing that it does is it gives them the opportunity to not have to write a check for $1.8 million to bring somebody in in a quote-unquote buy game. Hey, now, Mississippi State started kind of a hybrid version of this um, under Scott Strickland, where they were doing two-for-ones. Yeah. So it wasn't just a straight home-and-home. It was a deal where uh, I think it's what they did with Southern Miss the, uh, the first time where they played twice in Starkville and once in Hattiesburg. I think they did that with Louisiana Tech. That sound right? Yeah. The the, the trip to they, Ruston. They, have a few Troy, they did one with Troy. Uh they did one with South Alabama. Um but yeah, they've done a few of these, you know. And uh, and, and but, Scott explained it to me, you know, several years ago was it was an economic decision. Yeah. And it was to it was to get out of writing the big guarantee check of, you know, a million and a half to two and a half million dollars, depending on who you bring into your stadium. You eliminate that, and instead you agree to play a game in that home stadium. You get two at your place, and you offset the cost associated with it. Yeah, and that's what schools like State and Ole Miss are probably going to have to start doing, because, like you said, you know, they, they, especially now in this post-coronavirus world where we're about to be living in, where money might be a little bit tighter. Uh, yeah. It, it, you're going to see some of these. And for, and for Ole Miss fans, I mean, if you're going to play a road game against a group of five, obviously it's not super attractive. But like Porky said, Charlotte is a fantastic uh, destination. It's not like you're headed to, uh, no offense to the, the, the fine people of Troy, Alabama. Well, but, you know, that's not exactly a, a spot where you might you know take a whole weekend to, your, to enjoy the surroundings, whereas Charlotte is a place where, you know, you can make a, a weekend out of that or, or even longer. And it's recruiting. Well, yeah, I was going to say, that's the other thing that Keith said. There, there were some targeted markets that they were looking at. Right, and so when this conversation comes up, it, Southern Miss fans take this as a shot. This is not a shot against Southern Miss. It's just a product of your location. Ole Miss is scheduling Tulane, South Alabama, and Charlotte for geographically strategical purposes. If you have to do these home-and-homes with group of fives in order to save money, to me it makes zero sense. There's no benefit for Ole Miss, just specifically Ole Miss. There's no benefit for them playing Southern Miss because they're already here. Ole Miss is already, obviously, in the state of Mississippi. And so they clearly feel like there is not enough benefit for the 2,000 or so extra Southern Miss fans versus Tulane fans in their stadium that outweigh the ability to go and be in New Orleans, to go and be in Mobile, to go and be in Charlotte, and have your brand and your team there where you're trying to get in the market and recruit kids, that benefit outweighs the few thousand extra Southern Miss fans that would show up in your stadium. It's not a shot against the school. They're just already here. So if you're going to schedule these games, it makes no sense to schedule them against a team on your level, technically. I know it's USA and SEC, but they're an FBS team. It makes no sense at all to play a team that you technically compete for players with in your own backyard. So that gets rid of the keep the money in state argument because 
helping your competition doesn't make any sense. And you schedule these games because you have to, and you pick where you play them based on geographical relevance. You're already here. You don't need to play anybody here. Alcorn and Jackson State and Valley are different stories. It's a, it's a level below yours. But when it comes to an FBS opponent, you're already in Mississippi. You don't need help here. And you don't need to help your competition here. You need to go to New Orleans because they're cranking out players like crazy. Same thing in Mobile. Charlotte's one of the more underrated recruiting markets in the country. And outside of Clemson, I mean, you can be a really attractive place for them to go. You can get some players over there. So it's not a shot against Southern Miss. But to me, there's no benefit from Ole Miss's perspective to playing home and homes against Southern Miss. You get more out of Tulane in South Alabama than you do Southern Miss. Some of the responses on the ceasefire text line, Keith and JS says Eagle Hour was clowning on Ole Miss for stepping into Conference USA and not wanting to play them. Uh, Herschel says, I'm a Seminole fan, so I have no horse in the race, but what's the reasoning of USM and Mississippi instead of South Alabama or Charlotte? There's your reasoning. Geographical relevance. Uh, Jeff said, here goes Michael spewing his BS. Richard Southern Miss would play Ole Miss in Oxford and not even ask for a home-and-home. Home. Yes, they would. Yeah, they're not mm, I disagree with that. And, Jeff, tell me where I, what I said was incorrect or wrong or unjust or, or anything. Because that logic is sound. I've thought about it all day so I could bring it here. I understand. Like for us, it'd be great. Like I would, I want that game to be played because that would be a fun week for us. That'd be good. David, oh yeah, sure it would. Um, Dave says, I think you just contradicted yourself. You also compete for athletes against Jackson State and Alcorn State. Just my opinion. No, you don't. You, you really don't. I mean, I get what you're saying, Dave. I mean, you're, you're talking about the same pool of players, but. Ole Miss and Mississippi State are not recruiting the same players that Jackson State and Alcorn State are recruiting. And, and by and large, they aren't recruiting the same players that USM is recruiting anymore. No. But I am That's old true. enough to remember when Southern Miss erected billboards in this state to flaunt that they were ranked higher than Ole Miss and yeah. Mississippi State. So if you're going to flaunt the billboards, you can't cry, oh, help us, please. It's, it's just, you know, who's the last player that picked USM over State or Ole Miss? DeAndre Brown? I mean, it's been it's been a long time mm. since somebody had a legit offer from State or Ole Miss now, and decided to go to USM. What you're saying is very different than when's the last time you looked at Southern Miss's roster and said, "I sure would like to have that guy." Right, right. At there, Ole Miss or Mississippi USM State, that's two entirely players. different things because that's an yeah. every single year thing. Yeah, they've gotten they've gotten the diamonds in the rough and, and developed them and turned them into great players. Yeah, State would have loved to have had State and Ole Miss both would have loved to have had some of USM's players. But at the high school level, State and Ole Miss recruited better players on paper at that time. It just it's just a development. Sure. Yeah. 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 Like the, the one I always go back to is Dylan Bradley, great player for USM, and he was Jeff Simmons' brother. His recruitment could have been sewed up as a junior. You could have just had the brother on campus and good to go. But State and, didn't and, take him. And he went to USM. And look, they're, they're honestly just different schools of thought in this, right? I mean, if you look at the state of Arkansas, the Razorbacks do not play anyone from the state of Arkansas. For years and years and years, Arkansas State's been, well, why don't you play us? Why don't you play us? And this goes back to, and, and I'm not saying it couldn't change in the future, but it was a 
athletic department administration decision. It was really a Frank Broyles decision. And he said, we're not playing anybody. LSU's taking a different approach. LSU's been willing to play just about everybody in the state of Louisiana at some point. And really but in all sports. Stadium. They will not, yeah. They're not going to Lafayette. They're not going to Monroe. They're not going to any of the other places where you've got schools in Louisiana. We'll play you once at our place, period. But they've chosen to do that. Ole Miss is taking the tack. We're not playing Southern Miss. Mississippi State in recent years has said, yeah, we're willing to play Southern Miss. Let me understand these numbers. Keith Smith covers the NBA for Yahoo Sports. And he just tweeted this. I have trouble believing this. I'm not questioning his reporting. I just have trouble wrapping my mind around this idea. He tweeted, oh, he just said if. He says, if if it's costing the NBA $150 million a day to play at Walt Disney World, that's roughly $14 billion for this run. That's more than the league brings in in revenue for a year. No way that can be... Okay, so he was saying there was no way that could be correct. He says, I know Adam Silver said it's not as profitable as people think, but this would be a loss. Have you seen that number thrown out somewhere? I have not, but they wouldn't be doing this unless they were turning a profit somehow, even if it's minimal. Oh, I, even, I mean, I could even see them doing it at a loss. There's no way, though, it's costing $150 no. million a day. Not a chance. That's that's crazy. Crazy. I, mean, that I don't think you could... could include salaries and get to that number. No, I, probably not. And it's not like Disney's full open either, so it's not like you're factoring in, like you have to rent out Disney at whatever. Like, my fraternity used to rent out bars and stuff, and we would have to pay them what they would have usually made on that night, and then some. Uh, you don't have to do that because Disney's not fully open, and there's a direct partnership there, so even that couldn't be where you get that number from. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know where that came from. Stephen A. Smith, believe it or not, I uh, saw where he said something really funny and honestly truthful today. He said, you are, "He said you are not going to be able to keep NBA players from certain extracurricular activities with a certain special someone for three months." He's like, they're going to either sneak them in or find a way to get out, but there's no way that you're keeping them confined like that for three months, so they better be ready for it. Hmm. Well, I thought it was funny. (laughs) I was thinking through the logistics of that. Harden will figure it out. Yeah. He's lost a ton of weight, by the way. He looks fantastic. I mean, this quarantine has been the the year of the weight loss in the NBA because Harden's never really looked physically as good as he played. That's changed. Nico Jokic has lost like 50 pounds. Everybody's losing weight around here. Apparently even Zion looks good, believe it or not. 
It's not the first time I've heard you say that about Zion. Well, he was a 20-10 and 10 guy, 19 games into his rookie season, so I think I was right on that one. Yeah. Hey, one more, uh, one more piece of high school news as it pertains to the MHSAA. We were talking earlier about the possibility of flipping the schedules and playing spring sports in the fall and fall sports in the spring, although they define them as non-contact sports in the spring and contact sports. Uh, uh, I just messed that up. Playing non-contact sports in the fall and contact sports in the spring, which basically was a way to say football and soccer go to the spring, I think. So here's the other piece of news. Don Hinton, who is the executive director of the MHSAA, will retire at the end of this year, effective December 31st, 2020. He was named executive director July 1st of 2011 after joining the staff on January 1st and uh, followed Dr. Enos Proctor. He informed the executive committee of the MHSAA this morning that uh, he would be returning, uh, retiring at the end of the year, turned 65 in October. And so I don't know where they'll go next. Calvin Robinson is the president of the executive committee. He's assistant superintendent for Madison County Schools, said that the committee, which is made up of 15 school administrators from throughout the state of Mississippi, will begin the process of selecting Mr. Hinton's replacement in the next few weeks. So, you will have a uh, change in leadership at the MHSAA uh, at the uh, end of this year. So, uh, there you go. Pass that news along to you as well. College Football Fix is just around the corner. We've got some uh, first and second All-SEC teams to look at. Is this Borky? I, I saw what you put as voted on by the league's media relations directors. Is this the coaches' poll? Uh, I guess effectively yes, but uh, AL.com yeah. is at least being honest it's this time AL. and saying who the, who actually did it. AL.com does this every year. This is this is not the the legit SEC coaches' poll. Same people. Okay. Though. It is the same people. You're right about that. <laughs> what do you Four think Mike Leach ma- says when somebody asks him to fill out a coaches' poll? If they want to poll me on my feelings of various issues, fine. But I don't know who half these guys are. Probably give you a lesson on the origin of polling. Look at me. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. You want to be a part of the show? You can do so on the Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. That's the number. Bull. There's a lot of it in wireless, but Ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, period. Unlimited talk and text, 10 gigabytes of high-speed data, $45 per line with auto pay and paperless billing. Without auto pay, just $50. How's that for fine print? No bull. That's the real deal. Switch today at cspire.com slash real deal. Um, story worth taking a look at coming up in a little while. There is a, uh, a potential scandal in Las Vegas involving... Baseball and betting in Korea and China. And it probably cost somebody their job, for being perfectly honest. We'll get to that coming up in uh, in a little while. 
Uh, some interesting quotes from Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, in a uh, an interview that he did with Time 100 uh, earlier today. We'll get that to you as well. But right now, it's time for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. That's right. It's the F-150 we're talking about. 43 straight years is the number one selling truck in America. I will personally vouch for it. Many of you are driving F-150s as well. If you're like me, uh, you've had more than one of them, and you keep coming back for more because, well, it's just the best truck on the road. Check them out. Local Mississippi Ford dealers stop by and test drive one today. All right, AL.com with their media relations director preseason all-SEC teams in football. Media relations, communication uh, communications, uh, football information directors is how they classify them. I got a question, too. on the first-team quarterback. Here's the offensive side of things. We'll get to the defense later in the week. Top two wide receivers, Jamar Chase from LSU, Devontae Smith from Alabama. Any argument? None. Move right on. Tight end Kyle Pitts from Florida. Any argument? Sure. Uh, 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 Dan Mullen's going to use the tight end? I don't know how that's going to work. Is that a new thing? We must have just discovered that. Uh, the guards, Trey Smith from Tennessee and Deontay Brown from Alabama. We saw Trey Smith on uh, Bill Bender's All-America list earlier, and I think he will be on pretty much everybody's All-SEC list. The tackles, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. He'll be on everybody's list. Darian Kennard from Kentucky. The center is Drake Jackson from Kentucky as well. So how about that? Two Kentucky offensive linemen on the first-team All-SEC squad. Running backs, Najee Harris, Najee Harris from uh, Alabama, and Kylan Hill from Mississippi State. I think pretty much every All-SEC team you see, those are going to be the two first-team running backs. Yeah. The punter is Max Duffy from Kentucky. I skipped one position. I skipped the quarterback position. Preseason, first team, all-SEC quarterback on the football information director's poll, Kyle Trask from Florida. Group of 14 smart guys right there. Well, 13. You can't vote for your own guy. Ah, so 13. You agree with that choice as first team all-SEC quarterback? What would be a better option? I don't know, man. You're like the conductor on the Jamie Newman train. I am, but it's hard to discount what Trask did last year and and also meaning he is returning on his team. And I think you could argue that he had a better year, even with as talented as Jamie Newman is. Uh, Trask had a better season last year. I think people are sleeping on this kid. He was really good, and they're sleeping on him because of the story where he didn't even really start in high school and – He's just, he was just a backup that got thrown in, but when you look at the body of work and the production and the ability, that kid can really play. And going into this season, I can't think of a quarterback 
going into this season that I would put ahead of him on any preseason team based on what we've been able to see. Kyle Trask last year at Florida made his first start against uh, UT Martin. So he did not start the game against Miami. You remember that was the last week of uh, of August. And then Florida week had zero. an open date. Yeah. yeah, it was a week zero game. And I guess that's when Felipe Franks got hurt, right? Was in that game? Or did he get hurt early in the game he got against, hurt against UT Martin? He got hurt. No, he got hurt against... Uh... That's right. It was against Kentucky. Kentucky. It was it was against Kentucky. So Trask played against UT Martin. He was four or five for forty yards, and then he came into the game and ultimately led Florida to a win to a win against Kentucky, twenty nine to twenty one, and then he was the starter the rest of the way. He had wins as a starter against Tennessee, Towson, Auburn. South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Florida State, and Virginia in the uh, Capital One Orange Bowl. I'm more impressed, honestly, with how he played in the two losses. I think that tells you more about him than the games that he won. I mean, his two losses were at LSU and Georgia. In which he was 23 of 39 for 310 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception And Georgia. LSU. He was 64% completions for 257 and two touchdowns in a game that, I mean, it was close all the way down to the end. He, against his two most difficult opponents, played really well for a guy getting his first real game action since he was a sophomore in high school. That's more impressive to me than beating the brakes off of Florida State, for example. So Kyle Trask last year completed 67% of his passes, just shy of 3,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. With the schedule he played, that's good football. So so when you look around the SEC and you start thinking about, okay, who are the other quarterbacks in the league, right? Alabama, it's going to be either Max Jones or Bryce. Why can I never remember his last name? Young. Williams? I don't know why. It's not like it's difficult. Yeah, just uh, think of what he is, the freshman, young. Bryce Young. Hey, I've Matt tried Jones. to make him Bryce Williams. I've tried to make him Bryce Harper. <laughs> I've tried to make him Bryce everybody. Bryce Young, I'm eventually going to remember his name. So it's going to be either Mac Jones or Bryce Young. Jones was Alabama. good last year, but only a very small sample size. Would you be disappointed if they had made Mac Jones the preseason first-team All-SEC quarterback? No, that's probably who I would have voted for. Yes, if, when I get my ballot, even though he may not be the starter. Well, yeah, because I mean, you could just make Alabama quarterback a choice, and I would probably pick it. Okay, Arkansas, come on. No, moving along. Knicks at Auburn. Trask had a you better could, year. Yes, but you could you could certainly if you voted for him, I wouldn't I wouldn't get upset at you. Even though you New think minute. that his coach is getting fired after they lose four games? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, Jamie Newman at Georgia. Assuming he's the starter. Yeah. He will be. But here's a, just a comparison. I know the circumstances were different, but also the schedules were much different. Here's Newman's stats last year. 2,800 yards on 61% completions, 26 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He started every game. And three, fewer, one more time. 
20, basically 2,900 yards, 2868, 61% completions, 26 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Why are you so infatuated with him? He's, watch him play, the, the skill set. He's, he's 6'4", 220. He's a big kid that can run, but his arm strength is as good as anybody's in college football. It's, it's the raw ability as opposed to results with Newman that, that he just jumps off the screen at you when you watch him. So what's that averaging, like 240 yards a game? Against Clemson, he was 6 of 14 for 41 yards and two interceptions. Virginia Tech, 16 of 35. That's 45% completions. Two touchdowns, two picks. Uh, He was awful against Louisville. 58% completions, two interceptions. I mean... So why do you think he's going to be so good? Are you talking yourself out of the Jamie Newman sweepstakes? No. Like I said... what What am I learning here? I'm learning that he's not good against good teams. Or his roster is not that one is not one that can compete with the likes of Clemson. But now that he's at Georgia and presumably a very good system with Todd Munkin and as good of athletes as any opponent he'll play, that skill set will be better maximized to show you just how good he really is. I feel like there's another quarterback we should mention. I can't think of who it is though. We will, uh, we will continue working through this <laughs> list on the other side of a quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi. This is your college football fix. All right, let's pick the discussion up right where we left off, looking at uh, quarterbacks in the SEC. We were looking at the AL.com first-team preseason All-SEC list as voted on by football information directors at all 14 schools. So we said Mac Jones or Bryce Young at Alabama, not sure at Arkansas, Knicks at Auburn, Kyle Trask is the guy that got the first-team nod on this list, Jamie Newman expected to be the starter at Georgia. So we worked through five of the 14 schools. Your guy hasn't been mentioned yet. We'll get to him, we promise. Chris. Terry Wilson at Kentucky. Returning from injury. Good roster. Obviously, Lynn Bowden is not there. And that probably matters. Because not only was... I mean, Lynn Bowden was just a freak athletically. If you go back and you watch some of the highlights of when he was a receiver, who? Now, we did get a message that said, um, let's see here. When you say Terry Wilson at Kentucky, remember, he's 12-3 and as a starter. He beat Florida in Gainesville in his second-ever career start. He's back at 100% healthy. His three losses... Georgia twice and Texas A&M in College Station in overtime. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to learn some more about Kentucky, by the way, check out the Thunder and Lightning podcast and my interview with John Hale of the Louisville Courier Journal today. Does he think they're going to be pretty good? Yes. He thinks they're going to be pretty good, that they'll be in the middle of the pack of the East, but at the high end of that. Defensively, they should be really, really good. And then Terry Wilson coming back. His numbers aren't going to be great, but he's, he's, he knows how to win football games. LSU, Miles Brennan expected to be the starter. Big shoes to fill, obviously, following Joe Burrow. He's been in Baton Rouge for three years now, right? That's, yeah. This will be his fourth season at LSU. There's a red shirt year, and is that, then... Is that, that not right? I remember him playing. Who was the quarterback before Burrow? I don't even remember. 
This will be his fourth season. You uh, played in six games as a freshman in 2017. Uh, played in one game uh, his sophomore year in 2018, and he was a redshirt sophomore a year ago. Okay. There you go. Um, career? About 65% completions, about 500 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions for Miles Brennan. But he's going to presumably be handed the keys to that offense. Last year had one touchdown pass, one interception, and threw for 353 yards. Last year. Um, we'll see how it goes for Miles Brennan. I mean, if you if you want to go back and look at his high school passing numbers at St. Stanislaus, I mean, they were eye popping, absolutely eye popping numbers. And played a lot since then. Yeah, it's grown. He's gotten imagine. bigger. He's gotten stronger. He's been around the offense. He certainly had a great guy to learn under last year. Not only with Joe Burrow, but being around that offensive staff, it's just going to be a staff that looks a little bit different this year. I would imagine if you check every high school quarterback and or every college quarterback in the SEC, all of their high school numbers are probably eye popping at the end of the day. Yeah, but Brennan's were just off the charts. Yeah, most of them are. Ole Miss, we don't know who the starter is going to be. We know who the starter is going to be in Starkville. It's going to be K.J. Costello. Hey, Dad, you think that he should have been either first team or second team on this list? I mean, I don't have a huge issue with them not being on the list, but at the same time, if you had him first team, I wouldn't go too far against it. He certainly got a good resume, you know, even though it's not in the SEC. I mean, I would I would say that his resume is better than Newman's is. And then on top of that, he's going to an offense where he's going to throw the ball 50 to 60 times a game. He's certainly going to pile up numbers, assuming he stays healthy. So you can certainly make a great case for him being the first-team All-SEC quarterback. He KJ has Costello never thrown for 50 times a game in his career so far. Well. It's been in the 40s a few times, but... It... He'll fit right into the MSU family then because nobody in the world has done that. In 11 games at Stanford in 2017, Costello threw for almost 1,600 yards with 14 touchdowns and four interceptions. 2018 was the year where he really popped. In 13 games, completed 65% of his passes, 3,500 yards, 29 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. So not quite a 3-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. And then injured last year. Played in only five games. Threw for a little better than 1,000 yards with six TDs and three interceptions. And that team was a mess last year, especially early. Yeah. A lot of injuries. A lot of injuries on that Stanford team. I said this a few weeks ago, but it it was funny to me in a way they showed the graphic. I was in New Orleans the night before I went to the Saints-Bucks game. So, so that night, uh, up in the bar, they had uh, the Stanford game on, and they showed on the sidelines their offensive linemen that were injured. And below it said, Stanford offensive line, more players out for this game than available for this game. Out for the season than available for this game. It was like eight offensive linemen all on crutches or something on the sidelines, more of them than they had available to play. Chris and Laurel going back to the Miles Brennan comment because he, he was like, 
of course you guys are going to overlook an LSU quarterback again. And I was like, calm down, Chris. We're working through the list. Haven't gotten there yet, but spoiler alert, he's not worthy of preseason first-team All-SEC. He said, sure, but once another quarterback surprise comes out of Baton Rouge, the cries of system quarterback will begin to ring. I'm an LSU guy. Until O gives a reason to not trust him, I'm believing in his leadership. And then he did follow it up with, and yes, Brennan is not first or second team even yet. I can't believe you talked about me that way when I drove the Joe Burrow hype train (laughs) all last year. I disagree, though. If he has a good season, is anybody really going to call him a system quarterback? I mean, the system left. It's a new system. It's a new system, yeah. It's it's, it's not a system quarterback if Brennan goes out and does well this year. He's got a new offensive coordinator. Yeah, he's still got Insminger there, though. Yeah, he does, but, but I mean, there was I, a significant offensive difference. They're going difference. to look different this year. I, I would be. I, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Don't know who's going to be the starter at Missouri. I don't think. At least not definitively. I don't know who it's going to be. I'll find out in Phil Steele next month. Yeah, I ordered that, but it's a little later on delivery this year than uh, than some Brad years. Brad Smith still have some eligibility. I don't know. South right. Carolina. That's going to be Helensky, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good quarterback. Tennessee. <laughs> I think well, it's going to be Garantano, but geez. Yeah, a little competition there. I mean, Maurer had, in his limited action, would look so good 99% of the time. And then that other 1%, he would make a throw that I, I can't believe that Jeremy Pruitt didn't murder him right there on the field. I mean, just mind-blowing, what are you doing? You've been perfect until this point. Yeah, but Garantano had some of those decisions that made his coach uh, not real pleased with him also. Yeah, I mean, it cost them a chance against Alabama. It's I don't envy the decision-makers there because both of them are are talented enough guys. I really liked what I saw in Maurer, though. Kellen Mond is coming back at Texas A&M. He has been there for a while. And I know, hey, Dad, you're not a big Kellen Mond fan, I think he's good. He's not great. In his career at Texas A&M, Kellen Mond in 2017, as a freshman, in 10 games through for almost 1,400 yards, eight touchdowns, six interceptions. 2018 as a sophomore in 13 games through for 3,107 with 24 and 9. And actually regressed a little last year, although his completion percentage went up 62%. But about 200 fewer yards passing and four fewer touchdowns with the same number of interceptions. They got to have a running game. And you remember last year lost a couple of running backs early. Yeah. Kellen Mond is kind of to the point where he's seen it all. Right? I mean, when you start for all of two years and the better part of three years, and he's now in year three of that system at Texas A&M under Jimbo, they're not going to be able to throw a lot at him that he hasn't seen. So the question for me is, can he take a big step forward? Can he go to 65 66% completion for 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns while keeping the interceptions at 8, 9, 10? I don't think that's unreasonable to ask of him. They've had a little bit of turmoil around that program as well with 
players kind of speaking out, and you know, Texas A&M is a place that's tradition rich, but the diversity through the years has not been as much as some current players would like to see. And so I think Javon Osmond's been one of the ones that has kind of spoken out about that. Obviously, he's going to be important in the receiving court. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Luke Johnson will join us next. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson joins us, co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. You can always get that podcast as well, the Eagle Hour podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Luke, what's up? Well, guys, uh, you know, on the Eagle Hour, we try to break news and try to bring good content and with the Charlotte Ole Miss announcement today with the, the games in 2026-2027, very important breaking news article kind of went under the radar. You know, with COVID-19 going on, a lot of athletic programs have greatly reduced or had to pull different sports off. Well, the University of Mississippi announcing today, I guess it kind of got overwashed um, by the Charlotte series announcement, but Ole Miss putting together a dodgeball team. So I just wanted to make sure everybody's aware of that. <laughs> you got smiles all around, Luke. Uh, that's funny. Uh, I didn't know where you were going with that. So I had a that feeling where you um, was going with that. I had an idea. Is that I the general Dad consensus? Would at least appreciate it. Yeah, is, is that the general consensus that Ole Miss is scared of Southern Miss? Um, my dad, who's been a Southern Miss guy for a long time, and I appreciate just, you know, he, he, he loves it because he's been a part of all those games in the 70s and the 80s. Dad just said, they are cowards. And, you know, I mean, I'm getting laughed on radios across Mississippi right now. But it's a joke, but it's become hilarious. And, you know, if you're out there just want to be objective, and I would argue with something I was listening to you guys earlier, you know, that Borky said, and we can get off this, but it's just funny to, to discuss you know, there would be far more than 2,000 people that Ole Miss would get in a game like that. And, and I text you this a minute ago, Richard. You know, if you look at the Southern Miss-Mississippi State game last year, there were only 2,400 less people at that game than were at the Egg Bowl. So it's just hard for me to believe that general sports fans in Mississippi would not want to see a Southern Miss-Ole Miss game. Now, here's the thing. said 2,000 more. More. Yeah, I'm saying... Not 2,000 total. He was saying in comparison to what Tulane would bring to Oxford, Southern Miss would bring a couple of thousand more. They would. Oh, okay. I got you. I, I misunderstood that. The point is that Southern Miss playing Mississippi State last year was roughly the same attendance as what the Egg Bowl was. And so the, the point, all the point that I'm making, and I will give you guys and, and, and say this loud and proud, if Ole Miss and Southern Miss played – in the last four years, Ole Miss is winning that football game. Southern Miss plays Ole Miss in the next two or three years. Ole Miss is going to win that football game. So I'm not coming on here trying to be the little brother saying we're going to take Big Brother down. I am saying it's pretty laughable that Ole Miss is going, and, and I, to Borky's point about I get the, the recruiting footprint, but Ole Miss, and I think everyone would agree to this, needs more people in the stands at football games. And the one thing that would bring that about would be Southern Miss. There were more people that watched State and Ole Miss or that watched Southern Miss and Mississippi State last year than watched LSU in Oxford on November sixteenth. Well that 
I, look, I'm I'm not trying to debate this one way or the other, but that was a function of what the Ole Miss program was and has been for the last couple of years. Because, I mean, if you rewind to 2014, 2015, it didn't matter who they were playing, the crowds were north of 60,000. Same way with Southern Miss and Mississippi State in 2014 in Starkville. Southern it was, was terrible coming off of that, and there were 61,000 people in the stands. Hattiesburg's packed the next year in 2015. The only, the only point I'm saying is Southern Miss fans now are just grinning and laughing, and that it'll never get pulled off. It's something for us to chew the fat on and mess with each other and joke with each other about. But it would be financially helpful to Ole Miss for that game to happen based off what their present attendance is. It, that, you know, we can have fun with it, and I didn't come on here to pick fight. It's just it's funny, and Southern Miss fans smile about it now. Let me ask you this, though, Luke. I mean, a genuine question, and I'm I'm not poking fun or, or anything else. Why are Southern Miss fans hung up on the whole Ole Miss won't play us thing? Because it obviously has not been a detriment from a scheduling. I mean, there's been you know the Kentucky series and games going to Auburn and games you know against Alabama and obviously played Mississippi State. Why is it that Ole Miss not being willing to play that game is such a just a burr in the saddle? Because historically, Ole Miss has looked down at Southern Miss, particularly in football. And fan bases know this to be true. Ole Miss Has Mississippi series, State not? Um, well, it typically, but Mississippi State actually played Southern Miss into the 90s and then actually has played them three times in the last six years. So Southern Miss fans, even though they've, they've lost all three of those games, they tip their hats to Mississippi State. And they're thankful for that. And Southern Miss fans feel the same way about that that they do with the Ole Miss baseball program because one of the most respected people outside of Southern Miss is Mike Bianco because he respects what goes on with Scott Berry's teams and he plays them. Back to football. Ole Miss owned the series until Southern Miss won the last five out of seven. I was, I was a year old in 1984 the last time they played. Ever since then, fan base-wise, I'm not talking about official people, but the undercurrent in Mississippi is Ole Miss fans view Southern Miss as the redheaded stepchild down south that just wishes they could be that. And if you look what Southern Miss has done the last 30 years, and you look at what they've done with how little they've had at their, at, you know, in their pocketbook – I think it just galls Southern Miss fans that there is somewhat, from the fan base, not officially, but from the fan base, a perceived arrogance and downward look at Southern Miss. And so whenever this stuff happens, they just have a grin on their face. Yeah. Matt Guidry not playing baseball anymore. Does that surprise you at all? Um, we had him on the Eagle Hour today, actually. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we talked to he and Walker Powell kind of when COVID hit. And, you know, Matt, one of the big deals that Matt told us about today, Richard, is, it, you know, it was just a question of his body and his health. And um, really nothing came out, you know, really after the draft. And he's just decided to call it a career and uh, kind of putting his, his body and his health above everything. Tell you what, it, you know, a career 320 batter. Everybody remembers the grand slam he hit at, at LSU last year. Uh, he's a local kid, an Oak Grove kid. And it is surprising a little. Um, I think he would have probably been taken, you know, in the late teens had we had a normal draft. Um, but, you know, his leadership ability will certainly be missed in 2021. In terms of production, I mean, 
so you think leadership is where it stands out? A guy that's been around the program and does, has done everything Scott Barry's asked of him, that that's the biggest impact? It, it, I mean, you miss his bad. I mean, he's been a he's been a two two hole hitter. You know, he was a three hole hitter going into this year. But yeah, I mean, you miss the bat at the top. You miss the leadership up the middle. To his credit, he really cleaned up his glove. Um, first couple of years, he was prone to to you know he's kind of a, a liability occasionally. But man, he cleaned it up, and he's just one of those guys. He told he told us today about how much he learned in the 2016 season, redshirting, and then that 2017 50 win season. I mean, he just talked about. How amazing it was to be surrounded by that much that much talent, um, and so one of the things that he just kept bragging about was the that even though he was you know he hit three sixty three his first year he hit a little less than that this next year he always felt like he was fighting for a spot, <laughs> which I think is a really good environment that creates competition and I think it just speaks of Scott Barry's coaching ability that you had a guy that was starting you know this year wasn't a question but even you know last year he's looking around looking over his shoulder saying I need to be my best in order to hold it down. 45 minutes ago, the uh, governor of the state of Mississippi signed into law the uh, the new bill that retires officially the flag from 1894 for the state of Mississippi. We talked last week a lot, Luke, uh, about what this moment meant. Uh, I know Southern Miss officials, Jeff Mitchell was on with us at, at one point um, last week. Uh, you had the, the contingent of Southern Miss uh, athletics folks that were at the Capitol on Thursday. Uh, what was some of the reaction that you got from, uh, from those folks? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a pretty hot topic in on on the ground level but you know southern miss hasn't hasn't officially flown the state flag since 2015 and i know coach hobson we had him on the eagle hour yesterday he didn't speak about that but on social media his his brother state senator has been very vocal of it uh to you know to retire the state flag and he came out in support of that and uh yeah i, I mean basically it's something official that southern miss took a stance at you know several years ago so i know uh, talking sports-wise, Golden Eagle fans are happy that you know regionals can be held now and and uh, conference tournaments can be held now. Hattiesburg will apparently you know still host the Conference USA tournament in baseball in 2022. So yeah, I mean generally speaking, Coach Bauer, Coach uh, Joey Lee McNellis, and Coach Jay Ladner were all um, up there with Coach Kiffin and Coach Leach and, and Ole Miss and state officials last week to present a unified voice. So um, yeah, Dr. Bennett sent out a, a letter to the fan base and. And I think everybody's just ready to, uh, to move on and, uh, you know, just to encourage everyone in the process. Luke, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. All right, if we, uh, if we play dodgeball, um, I'm probably, probably going with you first, Richard, those uh, Oxford High School days. So I uh, just want to let you know that. And nothing against Haydad or Borky. Trying to target Wait, me or have me on first? your team? I'm, I'm a bad choice. You don't want me on your team. team. And I'm throwing at Borky's head first time. I'm going to grace Haydad for a minute. Appreciate that. <laughs> Feels like you're you an underestimate easy target my late in the game. <laughs> Y'all have a great day. See you. Thanks, Luke. That's uh, Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. Favorites.com. Go with the home team. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. A Supertalk Mississippi media production.